0: We are in a series. This is our second week in a series, and we are talking about connecting with God. And I, I said a little bit about this last week, but I just kind of want to say again why we're doing this series. We're going to be in this uh, series for uh, four more weeks after today. Um, my wife and I adopted about two years ago. And um, in that process, there's, if any of you have adopted or doing foster care, there's kind of a book that uh, is. I don't know, one of the like Bibles in the adoption or foster care world. It's called The Connected Child. And it's this, it's a great book talking really about, man, you're bringing people into your family that you don't know. And, and we adopted older kids, you, you know, you don't, we don't know them and they don't know us. And, and you're bringing these people into your family. And obviously, you really want to connect with those people. And so it's this book on saying, man, that can be difficult. It can be challenging. People that already have stories, that already have a life, that already have a history, that already have a past, that don't know you, all this stuff to say, man, and I, I want to connect with them. I want to actually be able to have a relationship with them. I actually want to be able to engage with them. I actually want to be able to know their heart and for them to know my heart. I want to be able to connect with them in such an important thing. And with a relationship like that, it can be difficult, so you need help. Now, I think that all, all of that I'm saying because I think our relationship with God can be the same way. We're bringing someone into our life that's very different from us, that it does things different from us, who has a history, who has a past that maybe we don't know everything about, and yet we want to connect with them. We want to connect with God, and yet that can be difficult. It can be challenging. And, and listen, I want you to be able, look, if you're, if you're not a Christian, I want this for you, but if you're a Christian, and if you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe even, and you kind of been going through life, you want to be able to actually connect with God. But that's not always easy. It doesn't mean that that just happens naturally. It's not natural to just connect with kids. It's not natural necessarily to connect with God. But I believe that you want that. I want that for you. I want that for our church, that you are actually able to connect with God to have more of him in your life, to actually experience his presence and his power and, and him being a part of your life and to feel like, man, my life is actually connected to him and I'm drawing from his power and I'm drawing from his love and I'm going through my days actually connected with him. That's, that's what we want for you. And this series is saying that there are time-tested habits And time-tested, ancient, that the church has been practicing for thousands of years, ancient disciplines and practices that, that you can actually have as a part of your life where you can say, I am connecting with God. Because if, if we're honest, a lot of times we say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't mean I feel really close to God or I, it doesn't mean that I'm feeling God involved in my life. And so many times we kind of reach certain points in our life and we say, man, I, I, I don't know how to kind of move through. I don't know how to get through this thing. And, and so much of it is because we actually don't know how to connect with God. So that's all of that is just to say, man, I really want to help us talk about this together and to say, hey, the church has been doing some stuff for a couple thousand years where where collectively there's wisdom that says, hey, this is how you can actually connect with God. So each sermon in this series, we're looking at a specific habit, a specific practice that you can involve in your life to actually connect with God and see change begin to happen as those Accumulate. So I'm going to pray and and then we will jump into the sermon for today. Father, I pray that you would help us to connect with you. That's what we desire. Whether we are suffering in our life right now, whether life is going beautifully, God, whatever's happening, we want to be able to connect with you. And so I pray even today that you would help us to hear your voice, that you would lead us, that you would teach us, that you would help me to communicate as you would want me to, and, and you would help uh, everyone here to be able to listen and receive what you have for them. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we all have things in life that we want whether that is wisdom or change in some part of your life or growth or maybe it's comfort through difficulty that you're experiencing or maybe it's to have God's presence. And I kind of said this a little bit ago, but, but we know that more is possible than we have now. We know that more is possible, but oftentimes we feel stuck. We know that there is more available in life. We know there's more wisdom and more change and more growth and more of God's presence. We know that there is more available. We don't think, most of the time, we don't think this is kind of all there is. Usually we think, I know there is more available, but a lot of times we feel stuck of how to actually get there. How do we get more in life, more of God's presence and more of God's involvement how, how do we get more of the things that God wants to do inside of us and do outside of us and through us? How do we get more of that? You might look at other people's lives, or you might look at even other times in your lives, or you might read the Bible and say, man, how, how do I get kind of more than the experience that I have right now? How do I have more? How do I get more of who God is? And let me just ask you this question. What if God could show up more in your life? So whatever is happening right now, whatever you desire, whatever it is that you want to kind of, man, I wish I could get to that place, whether that's an emotional place, a, a, a place in life with friends, a place in life with God, a place in life in your relationships, whatever it is, you say, if I could get there, what if God showed up more in your life than he is now? What if God actually did more in your life than he's doing now? What if more prayers were answered? What if more change happened? What if there was more of God that you actually experienced? What if God did more stuff in you and around you? What if God showed up more in your life? Wouldn't we want to have that? And the truth is that that is available, actually. That God can, whatever, even if you're like, man, this is awesome. I love what's happening in my life right now. Even if that's the case, there is more that God can do and more that God wants to do. I mean, think God is an infinite God. So whatever we have of him right now, whatever we're experiencing of him right now, that's obviously not the totality. That would be sad if it was. There is more that God can do in your life. There is more that God wants to do in your life. So how do we experience more of God, more of God's work, more of God's presence, more of God's involvement, more of God's action, more of God's change. How can we experience more of God? This is a silly example, but I, um, I got a Mac. I don't remember the first time I got a Mac, um, maybe 10 years ago. I got a Mac and I had never, I, I was, I hadn't evolved as a human that much. So I didn't really know how to use technology that great and all that kind of stuff. And I was only used to, you know, cheap, whatever, what was the laptops? I don't remember I, that everyone used to have, but anyway, so I used to have one of those. and, And I remember someone showed me on the Mac, you know, there's like the little trackpad thing. And you can take your fingers and go, and then all the windows go up like that. And you can see which one instead of having to minimize every single window, which takes 10 seconds, which you never get back. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. And that's a silly example. But when I was thinking about this sermon today, Even something as small as that, it showed me there's actually, you've got this Mac computer, right? That's got all these microchips and things and wires. And obviously, I don't know what I'm talking about, but all sorts of stuff inside of it. And it's capable to do way more than I thought it was capable to do. It has way more power than I actually thought it had. Even that my fingers could make all the windows go up. Okay, so I say that just to say, what if there's more? What if there's more that God can do in your life that you don't even yet know is actually available? What if there's more, and what if there's some simple practices like going like that that you could actually put into your life that could actually bring about some change, that could actually bring about some help? And there is. Now, let me, let me just give you the answer, and then we'll talk about this. How we experience more of God, one of the key ways is fasting. Now, that is not what you wanted to hear, and I'm sorry to say that, Probably the worst sermon I could preach besides fasting, you know, would maybe be about money. So if you, if you thought churches is all about money, they're not. We're also about making you not eat. So we have, you know, it's some of you maybe are like, please talk about money, you know? So we're going to talk about fasting today. And let me also just preface it with this. I am, this is not natural to me. Okay. So we're going to talk about reading the Bible in a little bit. I love reading the Bible. I'm naturally just by personality. I'm a reader. I like to read. I like to meditate. I like to think deeply. So if I'm preaching about the Bible and you're like, ah, I don't really lie. I'm not a reader. I can't really empathize with you. I am a reader. I love reading. I don't know why anyone doesn't like reading. The books are my love language. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I have no empathy for you. Okay. So just to put my cards on the table with food, I love food. I don't like not eating food. My, if When people are like, hey, what kind of activity, what's your hobbies? My hobbies are eating. That is what I like to do. That is all I like to do. I like to eat. I like to go on hikes, and I like to eat on the hikes, and after the hikes, I like to, as an excuse, say, man, I, I need to eat some more. So. I like to eat. I'm not a natural, I've never done just for fun like a whole 30 or or some sort of like cleanse or I've never done anything like that as a, I just think I should do this. This would be a, a fun activity, a New Year's resolution. So I love eating. I hate not eating, and I'm getting hungry just talking about eating. Okay. So fasting is not a natural thing to me. So if for you, you're like, ah, it's just kind of not my thing, or and we haven't even started talking about it yet, and you're already just like, ah, that's just not, that's not for me. It's not for me either. I hate it, okay? But it actually is one of the keys. It's actually one of the keys that leads to God showing up more in our life. And so I want to explore this together, and I know that fasting is probably something you haven't really thought about that much. It's kind of weird. It's not something we really know about that much, and I wasn't even actually going to preach on it today. Um, I, w- I wasn't going to preach on this. I had a different sermon kind of lined up. but really felt like it, God was leading me to bring this to our church to explore this together. So the first thing we're going to ask as we explore fasting is just, should we fast? Should we fast? Because maybe as you think about this topic, it's not something you've thought about much. Maybe you've got different questions about it. Uh, and, and maybe you just don't really see the need for it. It's kind of a, feels like an irrelevant sort of weird religious practice. Uh, Maybe you might even think that fasting is actually bad, Uh, depending on kind of your church background. You might think, isn't that kind of legalistic? Isn't that something we're doing to earn God's favor and we shouldn't do that? That's kind of a a bad thing. Maybe you even think it's like, oh, that's an Old Testament thing and we don't don't do that anymore. Uh, Maybe you just kind of think it's uh, a super Christian thing. If you think about fasting, you might think of monks usually, whether those are Buddhist monks or Hindu monks or... Denver monks or whatever kind of monks you think like, man, fasting is kind of this super Christian kind of thing. So is fasting actually something we should do? And I just want to take you on a little Bible survey. And I, I was going to say this also. Um, I should have said this at the beginning. This, this sermon is going to be, I'm going to preach, but it's going to be a little bit more of a teaching sermon. Okay. This is going to be a little bit more luxury in some ways. So if you're a college student and you thought you were getting away from that, I'm sorry. Um, So it's going to, because I want to, I just know this is a topic we don't know much about or think much about. So I want to kind of explore this together. So should we fast? Let's go to the Old Testament and start and just see what the Bible said. The Bible says a ton about fasting, okay? It says a lot about fasting, talks about it over 70 different times, and we're not going to be able to cover every single thing, but I just kind of want to give you some of the highlights. In the Old Testament, fasting was commanded. Here, this is referring to what is known, this just happened a couple weeks ago, uh, that the the Jewish people celebrate called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And this was one of the specific days that was commanded by God where annually they were to fast. And so here's what it says. This is to be a permanent statute for you in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you are to practice self-denial. This was talking about fasting. And do no works. It was also a Sabbath. Both the native and the alien who resides among you. Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. So they had an annual fast prescribed to them. Second, is this, this. God commands uh, them for a particular time. This wasn't an annual fast this was given, but this was a specific time that God directly commanded them to fast. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. So there's a particular time that God says, hey, I, want, I see something going on. I want you to fast. So annually, there's a fast commanded. At various times, God sees that the people need this, and God commands fasting. Now, I'm not going to cover all these other things, but my, my two points on the Old Testament is this it was commanded, and it was common. So all throughout, and I don't know if you all can see this, I guess it's pretty big. These are just all the different kind of passages referencing fasting. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, I mean, Psalms, Nehemiah, Esther, almost, I mean, most of the books in the Old Testament talk about fasting. So it was something commanded. It was also something very common that people did, not necessarily because God directly commanded them, but because certain needs occasioned it. So in the Old Testament, fasting was commanded and it was common. Okay? That's the Old Testament. You're like, I'm not Jewish. That's okay. Let's go to the New Testament. What happens in the New Testament? Well, there's a few very key texts about fasting in the New Testament. It doesn't talk about it near as much as the Old Testament, but there's a few key texts that are really important for our understanding of fasting. So the first thing is, let's look at Jesus. Matthew 4, 1 through 2. Then Jesus was led up. This is just as Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's baptized. The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. It says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, understatement of the Bible, he was hungry, right? <laughs> like, yeah, he was a little hungry. After 40 days and 40 nights and being tempted by Satan, he was hungry, okay? Okay. Now, this is important because this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The beginning of Jesus, before he did anything. No miracles have happened. No healings have happened. No preaching has happened. No teaching has happened. No gathering of disciples has happened. No evangelism has happened. Nothing has happened yet. And what Jesus does is go for 40 days and nights and fasts. Now, that should be instructive for us, shouldn't it? If Jesus, if God himself believed, before I do anything, I mean, look, it's Jesus, right? Jesus thought, before I can teach a word, before I can gather people, before I can heal people, before I can pray for people, before I can do anything, Jesus believed, before I can do anything, I need to fast. Now, think about that. I don't know what your fasting practice looks like. Most people don't fast, okay, just as a statistical fact. Most people don't. So I don't know what it looks like for you, if it has looked like anything for you. But just looking at the life of Jesus should be instructive for us, right? See, man, if he felt that he needed to fast, do I really think, well, Jesus needed to, but I'm good. I mean, we should look at that and go, Jesus thought he had to fast for 40 days and nights before he did anything. Before he began any sort of activity involved in God's mission, involved in loving and serving people, he believed he needed to fast. That should teach us something. And then we go to the two times that Jesus taught on fasting. So there's only two times that Jesus taught on fasting. And I could preach a whole sermon just on those sections. I'm not going to show you everything he says, but I want to point out a couple things. So we look at the life of Jesus. Now here's the teaching of Jesus. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. So some people are fasting, and they're trying to get you to see how miserable they are. So they're like, oh, oh I'm so hungry. Why are you so hungry? Well, I'm fasting. And they want you to see how spiritual they are. They want you to see how holy they are. So don't look gloomy. They make their faces unattractive. I don't know, I don't know if anyone's ever, their morning routine is, I'm going to Unmake up myself, you know, whatever that, I'm going to make my eyebrows look messy or whatever. They make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So they want people to look at them. They want people to see how holy they are. All right. They've got their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, bro, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others. Clean up a little bit, smell good. That's what he's saying. So your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. We'll come back to a piece of this, but here's the key. Jesus only teaches on fasting twice. We're asking the question, should we fast? Here's what Jesus said, whenever you fast, when you fast, whenever you fast, when you fast, he's implying that we're going to do it. Next passage where Jesus teaches on fasting is the same thing. Then John's disciples came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? This is John the Baptist's disciples. Like, hey, why the Pharisees and us? We fast a lot, but your disciples don't fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus says, look, fasting, we'll get into this, fasting is a way to ask for God's presence, he says, I'm already, I'm already with them. So they don't, they don't need to fast. The, the wedding guests, the wedding guests will, uh, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? Like if you're at a wedding and the, and the groom is there and the bride is there, you're not going to be like, oh, I wish this party would get started. You're, they're already there. You're celebrating. It's festive. It's great. And he says, that's what's happening with my disciples right now. He says, but the time will come when I'm going to leave and what, then they will fast. So Jesus teaches on fasting two different times. Both times he says, whenever, when you fast, then they will fast. Now that's not a direct command, but it's an implication, right? If I tell my kids, when you go to bed, don't make a lot of noise. I don't want you getting up and playing. And then I go in there three hours later, and it's, you know, let's say, I was going to say three in the morning, but my kids don't go to bed at midnight. If I go in there, and it's midnight, and, and they're still awake, and I go, what are you doing? And they said, "We well, never told us to go to bed. You just said, when you go to bed. You would go, okay, those are some mischievous children, right? You wouldn't say, well, that's true. You didn't say. And Jesus says, when you fast. He only teaches on fasting twice and both times. When you fast, whenever you fast, then they will fast. Okay, so Old Testament, commanded, common, New Testament. There was something about fasting that Jesus thought, man, I need this. Then when he actually teaches on it, he says, when you fast, whenever you fast, then you'll fast. After Jesus, we get into Acts, which is the book that tells the story of the church getting started. What do we see in Acts? Acts 14 says this, when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is saying as the churches are all getting started throughout throughout the book of Acts as the churches are getting started they commission elders and in every church prayed with fasting. So every single time they're starting a new church, every single church has this practice built into it, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, that's the book of Acts. Let's do a little church history. Okay, so after the after the Bible's written, after Acts, one of the earliest Christian documents that exists is called the Didache. Okay, it's one, it means like teaching. One of the earliest Christian documents. It's the first century. Okay, so that means it, it's only a few decades after some of this stuff, or even a couple decades after this. And it's just a, it's a short document. and It's a list of instructions for Christians or for the church. And one of the things they say in this. So this is first century. This means it, it's continuing to happen. Here's what it says. It says, let not your fast be with hypocrites for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but do your, but do you fast on Wednesdays and Fridays? Now we're like, what does that even? Yes. Those freaking hypocrites. I always knew it Mondays and Thursdays it's talking about that's when the, that's when the jewish people fasted. The jewish people regularly had as a fast Mondays and Thursdays and he is saying to as christians to separate ourselves from them and to show that this is something new, something distinct. We're not jewish people that we fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Now, this is first century. I'm going to fast forward and skip tons of we're going to skip tons of stuff. I just want to show you how common this was all throughout history. All the way up until about 150 years ago. A man named John Wesley. John Wesley is one of the greatest Christian leaders that ever existed. He is the founder of Methodism. Okay, And even if you hate Methodists for whatever weird reason, um, that's, that's not my point. It's just to say he was a great Christian leader that started a movement. And what he says here just shows us how common, up to 150 years ago, fasting still was. Here's what he says. A little abrasive, just be warned. Here's what he says. I fear there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, who, following the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice in the week, they do not fast twice in the month. The man that never fasts is no more in the way to heaven than the man that never prays. John Wesley, 1869. nine. That is Now, my point isn't to say, yeah, you so-called Methodists. That's not my point. My point is just to say how common it still was, obviously beginning to fade out, but how common it still was at twice a week. Twice a week was still the norm. That was the normal, listen, that was the normal Christian practice for almost 2,000 years was that Christians fasted twice a week. John Wesley is moaning that some people don't even fast twice a month. And we could look at our life and go, do I fast twice a month? Hmm. What would John Wesley say about me, right? He would be trolling your Facebook like crazy, right? Like, oh, that looks like a nice donut. Are you fasting? Right? So, okay. So should we fast? Should we fast? Here is the answer to that question. Is fasting commanded in the Bible? No, it's not. Nowhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, for Christians is fasting a command. And yet, and yet, let me change the question to should we fast and ask, do you want more? Do you want more of God's power? Do you want more of God's involvement? Do you want more of God's presence? Do you want more of God's activity in your life? See, if we ask should we fast, For Christians in the New Testament, there's no specific command to say, you must fast. And yet, we look at the life of Jesus and say there was something about fasting that he felt, I need this in order to do life with people, with God and ministry. You look at his teaching and he implies, this is, yeah, my followers are going to want to do this. The people that belong to me are going to want to do this when I leave. Of course, they're not going to do it right now. But when I leave, they're going to fill a gap. They're going to feel a hole. They're going to feel a need. And of course, then they will fast. And as the church gets started, people say, man, you know what we need? We want more of God. We want these baby little churches that are just getting started to have God's presence and his power and his activity. You know what we need? We need to fast. And for thousands, almost thousands of years one of the core practices of the church was fasting. It's been forgotten. I mean, I don't mean forgotten as that no one does it, but it's been forgotten as a regular thing of how we connect with God in modernity. Now that we believe and love instant gratification, Amazon instant, everything is instant. Being able, I mean, we are a culture of con- con- consuming and needing and wanting and gratifying, and the idea of fasting seems very foreign. The idea of fasting seems very strange and odd in an in a abundant materialistic culture, does it not? And yet there's something about fasting that God built into the DNA of his people from the beginning to say, if you want more of what can happen in your life, if you want more of what I can do, fasting is a key. It's one of the keys that without we, we miss out on what could be. So what is it actually? We've kind of touched around it a little bit, but what actually is fasting? And maybe commonly we, we might think of fasting just to say, well, it's not eating. Fasting is not eating. That's not what fasting is. If you Google fasting right now, what will come up is, and maybe some of you practice this. I, don't, I, I never actually um, have talked to anyone in person about this um, but a big if you google fasting one of the you know the top thing that comes up is, is called IF or intermittent fasting which is a big huge practice right now that people do and it's it's for health reasons to say hey I don't eat for 8 hours or I don't eat for two different times two two times a week actually for 24 hours or, or I or I kind of load my calories on certain days and it's a health practice that people do and the 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 you know outside of Christianity, the world is saying, man, this is beautiful, this is awesome, you should do this, it'll benefit you, you'll feel so much energy, you'll feel so alive, it's great. And so if you think about fasting, you might think, man, it's mainly not eating. Whether that's for health purposes or even for religious purposes, to say, I, I'm not going to eat, or maybe even that it's giving something up. It's to say, well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna fast from technology for a little bit. But in the Bible, fasting is not so much about giving something up. It's actually much, much more than that. And there's no definition in the Bible of fasting. Because there's no definition in the Bible of most things, because the Bible's not a dictionary. So Jesus doesn't go around saying angels. They are a being that, blah, blah, you know, adjective used as angelic, verb as angelly or whatever. Like he doesn't, I mean, <laughs> Jesus doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't do that, okay? But you see what the definition is by how it's used or how it is practiced. So what is fasting? Let me just give you a couple quick things here. Uh, Back to Jesus' life. When Jesus was in the wilderness, as he is fasting, Satan tempts him and says, Dude, he doesn't say, he kind of says this, but he says, Turn this rock into bread. Which if you're hungry and you're God, that seems like a pretty hard temptation to resist, right? And he says, It is written... Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is defining what he's doing. Something about his fasting practice is actually life to him. That he is feeding on God and who God is and what God says to him. Or later, Jesus says this. He is, there's a famous story, Jesus ministering to the woman at the well, and he's, he's talking to her and telling her about himself as the Messiah, and his disciples come back, and they kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Now, what is, what is he saying? He's saying, I am drawing power and sustenance and nourishment and energy, which is what food gives from something else from God. I'm not eating right now, but I am drawing my power and energy on something else that you don't even know about. So what is fasting? Here's what some authors that have studied this extensively and researched it say. Richard Foster says, fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. John Piper says, Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. Dallas Willard says, fasting unto our Lord is therefore feasting, feasting on him and doing his will. So it's not so much just the abstinence of something or the abstaining or the denial or the stopping of something as it is the starting of something. It is giving something up, but for the sake of something else. My definition that I would say is that fasting is intense physical prayer. It's whole body, physical, intense prayer. That is what fasting is. Fasting, here's another way to just think about it. That fasting, and, and he Dallas Willard kind of mentioned this word feasting. Fasting is to praying what feasting is to eating. Okay, so you pray, right? You pray. And you you pray some prayers to God, and you eat. But every time you eat, it's not a feast, right? I mean, you, maybe you ate a, a bar for breakfast today. And you peeled the little sucker open and took a few bites and you're like, that's it. And that was your breakfast. And then it's a latte or some coffee. And that was your breakfast. But you ever gone to like a, you know, a hotel and breakfast buffet just poured out in front of you And you're just like, yep, I'll have a muffin, and a bagel, and a croissant, and a Danish, and some eggs, and some hash browns, and you're just feasting. Or Thanksgiving's coming up, right? And you've had a turkey sandwich before, and you said, yeah, okay, I had a turkey sandwich, it's all right. But Thanksgiving is, man, you're eating tons of turkey, and you're eating mashed potatoes, and you're eating sweet potatoes, and you're eating corned beef potatoes and you're eating every potato that's like existed and you're eating and, and then you put gravy on it all and marshmallows on it and you're just like feasting right and fasting fasting is to praying what feasting is to eating it's saying yeah I'm doing this but I'm doing it intensely I want more fasting is the buffet of praying it's the entire Physical, just like on Thanksgiving, when you're like, oh my goodness, this has destroyed me and I just, I'm like physically changed forever, right? That is what fasting is. Fasting is a whole body experience of intense praying. That's what fasting is. Now, let's ask what the purpose of it is. Why, why do that? Why, why go through that? Why, why enter into a practice of intense physical praying. And maybe it can seem obvious to you, but just let's, let's ask this question. What's the purpose of it? Why is it something that was commanded in common? Why is it something that Jesus did? Why is it something that the church practiced for so long? Why, why do this? What's the purpose of it? How would it affect our lives? How would it change our lives? What's, what's the reason? What's the purpose? Now, oftentimes when we feel pain in our lives, pain of, man, I want to Kind of what we were talking about in the beginning. If I want to get to here. Pain of I want to grow. Pain of things aren't the way I want them to be. Pain of stuff in my life isn't going how I want it to go. Pain of things are difficult. Things are challenging. Pain of I don't know where God is. Pain of I don't see God answering my prayers. Pain of my relationships aren't going great. Or I don't know what to do about this. When we feel pain, when we feel pain, oftentimes what we think that we need is more or different. So we might think we need more stuff. We might think we need more money. We might think we need more time. We might think we need more space. We might think that we need uh, something different. So things aren't going well, and we think, I need something different I need different friends, I need a different spouse, I need a different religion even, I need need a different thing, a different city. Oftentimes when we feel pain, things aren't going well in some way, or we want to get over a hump and get to what we believe is something better, we think that we need something more, or we think that we need something different. Now here's what fasting does, here's the purpose of it, here's... here's the key. It says you do need something. You are feeling something that you actually need. But what fasting does is it redirects our hearts. It redirects our minds. It redirects our souls. It redirects our bodies to saying what you need is God. What you need, the pain that you're feeling, the more that you're wanting, the different that you are seeking, is actually God. That's what fasting does, is it redirects us. It shows what we are grasping onto and saying, I need this, I have to get this, this will solve it, this will fix it. If I have this, this will comfort me, this will alleve me, this will help me. Fasting releases our grasp. It releases our grasp. Here's here's how Richard Foster says it. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals, the things, reveal, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Christ. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. Fasting reveals what's actually controlling you. Because when you abstain from something to seek God, you see how much you felt like I needed that thing. You see how much you felt like I had to have that thing. I mean, just think about even if, 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 if you were to fast, let's say, from Netflix. And today you were going to go home or whatever it is, Hulu or Amazon Prime or cable, whatever you, or old school Channel 4 on the clicker, whatever, okay? If you were to fast from that and you were to go, okay, now it's time for me to watch my show. Maybe that's how you unwind. And you said, I'm not going to do that. And then what comes, like, what comes up in you? You might start feeling uncomfortable. You might start feeling, yeah, but how am I going to relax? How am I going to, man, I had a stressful day. Or, or maybe if you were to fast from alcohol, and you like to have a drink to unwind at the end of the day, and then you say, I'm not going to do that. And then you go, yeah, but I, now I, I'm still feeling kind of tense. I kind of wanted some relief. I kind of wanted some peace. Or if you were to fast from coffee, <gasps> And go, yeah, but how do I start my day? How do I, I, I need kind of, I, how do I get out of bed? I need, how do I talk to my kids? How do I do anything? Like, I need that boost. I need that help. Or if you, I was talking to my wife and she said, the worst thing I could ever imagine is fasting from chapstick. So if you, uh, maybe, <laughs> she left for some reason. I think my kids were having a problem. So uh, she's not here. So, but she would say, yes, fasting from chapstick would be the worst thing. But I mean, wh- what, what are you saying in that moment? Like, man, I, if, if you actually cut that out of your life, say yeah I need this it brings me some peace it brings me some comfort it brings me some help it brings me some energy it brings me some relief it brings me some power for my day it brings me I mean, if you were to fast from sleep and I don't mean totally but if you said hey I'm going to fast for 15 minutes from sleep every day so I can pray I mean you you start to see how much you're actually relying on things that we think we have to have here's how John Piper says it similarly if you don't feel, maybe because you're like, I don't really care about fasting. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, which just means more of God's presence, more of God's activity, more sight of who he is. If you don't feel strongly for that, it's not because you've drunk deeply of it. Man, I've seen all there is to, of God and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the doling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and to say with some simple fast, this much, O oh God, I want you. This much, O oh God, I want you. You see, what fasting does, the purpose of fasting is that it releases our heart. It reveals to us and releases our heart from the things that we are believing. I need this. Fasting begins to sensitize us. It begins to sensitize us to what we're actually counting on, what we're actually relying on, where our hearts are actually getting filled up, what the source of our joy and peace and energy and power actually is. It begins to actually give us a spiritual awareness that we don't have before. See, the purpose of fasting is what it does is it releases you from holding on to other things so that you see how much you actually need God. It releases your heart and your mind and your affections and your attention from other things so you see how much you actually need God. But how much you need God for what? Well, the passage we looked at earlier that Jesus taught on, he says, if you do fasting in the right way, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, when you fast, you are saying, I don't need these things fasting reveals to you the things that you're hanging on to so that you can grab on to who God is and get rewarded. And it's not a reward of God sees what you're doing and says, wow, that's really cool that you're giving up food. You get a prize. It's that in the act of fasting, you are saying, I need God. I need more of you. I want more of you. And he rewards you. He gives it to you. You are saying, I don't need these things anymore. These things don't have to control me. These things don't have to be my source of life and energy and power and peace. They don't have to be that for me. Instead, I want you to be that for me. And the reward is, God says, here you go. You can have more of me. You can have more of my presence. You can have more of my activity. You can have more of my involvement. See, Let me just be clear again. Fasting is not commanded to you but do you want more of god in your life do you want more of his presence do you want more of his activity do you want to know him more and see him more he says you will be rewarded when you fast because i will give to you what your heart is actually most desperately wanting and seeking in all these nibbles i will give you the buffet That's what God says. That's what Jesus says. See, the purpose of fasting is to release our hearts, minds, affections, direction of life on other things, and instead to seek it in God. Do you want to experience more of him? Life can be hard, and and it's such a beautiful thing to actually say, God, look, this is the beautiful thing of fasting. God says, I want you to have more of me. That, whatever you're going through in life, God says, I want you to have more of me. I want to give myself more to you. I want to be involved in your life more. So come get it. That's the invitation of fasting. But more means, more means that He actually then does something. See, fasting, the purpose is to release from other things and have more of God, but then more of God actually practically makes a difference. It actually, things actually change. And I could give you countless examples from the Bible, but let me just give you a couple. This is from Nehemiah. They said to me, The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. And then dot, 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 it goes forward. He asks the king, and the king granted my requests for the gracious hand of my God was on me. He sees that Jerusalem, the walls have been torn down, the people are in exile. He mourns, he fasts, and he asks this pagan king, hey, can you actually... Can you actually send us back? We've been in exile. Can you actually send? And he fasts and God answers. And the king gives him money and safe transport to leave and go rebuild their wall after he fasts. And here's what happens in Acts. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So they're in this room, praying and fasting. And we don't know how long this is happening or or what's going on, but they're, they're praying and fasting. We don't know the whole parameters of it, but we imagine they're seeking and asking God, God, we want to see your mission go forward. And God speaks to them and says, take Saul, who then will be named Paul, and set them apart for work. Now, After this is when Paul then goes on all his crazy missionary journeys. See, if this hadn't happened, we can safely say that maybe we wouldn't have Paul traveling all across the world and telling people about Jesus. Paul hadn't started any of his missionary journeys yet. All Paul's letters of Philippians and Colossians and Thessalonians and all none of those had been written because they hadn't started their missionary journey. This is where that happened. This is where it got kicked off is they're praying and fasting, and then God says, okay, in response to that, I am now giving you specific direction and power to go spread the gospel across the world. You see, God actually shows up. The purpose of fasting is to say, I don't need these things. I need more of you, God. And when we actually say, God, I want more of you and your presence and your involvement and your activity, He rewards us by giving it to us, which actually then makes a difference in our lives and the lives of those around us. What's the purpose of fasting? This this is the purpose. And and if you want to even just make it more specific for us, what what about at True Life? See, when when I went on sabbatical, which some of you don't know that, but I was on sabbatical most of the summer. When I went on sabbatical and I came back, I felt like, and hey, we can change this thing at the church or here's some things that probably need to get worked on or here's some areas that I want to teach on and, and all of that is good. But you know what I also felt? I felt like God wanted to lead us into a season of seeking him to do more, of asking him to be more present and more involved and more active and to see his power and his presence and his answering to prayer show up even more fasting is one of the key ways that we see this happen. Last question is how do we do it? How do we fast? I've already been fasting this last week. And during that process, my kids keep asking me, well, but do you get a snack? Do you get to have a snack? That's a very kid question to fasting. Like what about string cheese though, you know? Um, And we don't really often know, like you might go, okay, yeah, I want to fast. How do I do it? Do I get a snack? Do I not? Like, what do I actually do? How do I do it? And so I want to help us understand how we actually do this. If you read through the Bible, there's different degrees of fasting. Some Jesus fasted from food for forty days and There's different degrees and different durations. Some fasts are a day. Some fast are twenty-one days. Some fast are forty days. Some fast are three days. Some fast. I mean, there's all sorts of different durations and degrees. It could just be vegetables. It could be water and food. Miraculously, it can be food. It can be. I mean, all sorts of different things and different reasons for it. We saw even just in a couple examples. One of them was. It seems like kind of fasting to see God do more work. Another one was fasting to see God return the Jewish people to to their land and see the temple rebuilt. And there can be different reasons, different durations and degrees of it. So it kind of just depends. But the core of fasting, the core of fasting is to cease from food normally, but it could be something else, to cease from something and to in that time or in that space increase prayer. So to cease from lunch, and in that time, to pray. Or to cease from breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then during that day, to pray. But it's to cease and increase, if you need a rhyme to help you remember. It's to cease and increase. That is what the core of fasting is, whether it's a 40-day fast, or a one-day fast, or whatever it might be. And it just depends. It depends on the individual, if you're fasting just for yourself or the call that's given to a community. And over and over again in the Bible, many of the fasts are calls to a whole community to say, let us fast together. Let me just give you this one last passage in Ezra. He says, I proclaimed a fast. So this is a community fast. He's saying, we're going to do a fast. I proclaimed a fast by the Ahava River so that we might humble ourselves before our God. So this is the posture. It's saying, we need you. So there's a proclamation, we're going to do a fast. There's a humbling to say, we need you, God. And ask him, there's specific requests that they're asking for. And to ask him for a safe journey for us. Our dependence in all our possessions. I did this because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us from the enemies during the journey, since we had told him the hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him, but his fierce anger is against all who abandon him. So he said that to the king. He's like, well, I really hope that God then shows up to do that, so let's ask him. Let's humble. Let's say we need him. So we fasted and pleaded with our God about this, and he was receptive to our prayer. So how we fast can depend there's all sorts of different ways, but the core is to cease and increase. And the core we saw in that passage, that there's often, there's a humbling before God. There's a proclamation of a reason to fast, whether that comes internally, if you're doing it for yourself, or if it's for a community to say, here is what we are doing. Here's the reason. Let's ask God. And then you know what happens? God answers. That God is receptive to their requests. But here is the key that is so important. Listen. Listen we cannot presume upon God. God often will not do for you what you want him to do until we ask him. God will not do for you what you want him to do. He won't bring about change. He won't bring about comfort. He won't bring about presence. He won't bring about healing. He won't bring about answered prayers that you have. He won't bring about wisdom. He won't bring about growth. He won't bring about relationship changes. He often will not do that until we ask him for it. God loves to be asked, and he loves to be depended on, to say, I need you so, man, more than I need food, I need you. Because we're inviting him to say, I need you more than anything, and God loves to answer those requests. God loves to do that. So how do we do it? It's to cease and increase for specific reasons. As a result, of a need or something that is seen either individually or as a proclamation for a community, which leads us all to this, which is here at True Life. Now, if this is your first Sunday, you get a pass, okay? Unless you want to be involved in this, which is fine. But I am proclaiming or asking us as a church to do a fast. I'm asking us, if all this is true that we just went through, if all this is true, which is that, man, if we want to see more of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, to the practice of church history up until 150 years ago when we all got fat and rich, up until then, the church has done this. If, if all that's true, and this is how God shows up, and this is how he gives us more of him, then I'm asking us together to do a fast. I'm asking us to do a fast for 30 days starting tomorrow, I'm asking us to do a fast for 30 days starting tomorrow. And here's the specific parameters of this. I'm asking you daily, I'm asking you every day to give up something that will give you an extra 15 minutes. So if that's sleep, let it be sleep. If that's lunch or breakfast or work and you show up 15 minutes late, I don't know, you know, don't, don't take that as my recommendation. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, whatever that might be that gives you an extra 15 minutes. If, so if it's food, great. If it's, if it's at nighttime and normally you come home and you have a glass of wine or a beer or something and you watch NFL for a little bit or whatever, if it's that or video games or I, I, don't, I don't know what it is for you, but if there's something that you can say, I can once a day for 15 minutes say, God, I actually need you more than this. I need you more than this thing. Give that up and spend that time praying. And one other thing, asking you to once a week, and this can be a part of this, to once a week, so this is four times, once a week, not John Wesley, once a week, not two, okay, once a week to fast from some meal. Your choice, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and to spend that time praying. Now, I can give all sorts of caveats to this. I I mean, man, maybe you've got health issues and there's no way you can do that. Or maybe you uh, have struggled with eating disorder. I I mean, there's all sorts of like caveats that I could give to this. And I'm, I'm I'm, I'm not commanding anything. I'm asking and inviting us to seek more of God together. Okay? To say once a day, once a day, 15 minutes, and one time during the week. I'm going to give up a meal and spend that whole time. And maybe, look, maybe your lunch, you only spend 20 minutes at lunch, and so you spend 20 minutes at lunch, and you spend 20 minutes praying. Asking us to fast together. I've got this little thing that I'd love you to write down. This is just a, you can do this on your phone right now, or in the next few minutes when we take communion and worship you just go bit.ly slash tlfast, and this is just you committing to do this. So maybe you need to think about it for the rest of the day. Man, can I really do that? But I, I would love if you say, man, I want to be a part of that. I want together as a community for us to ask and seek God and invite him for more. I want to ask God to do more. I want to ask God to be more present and more involved and answer our prayers and to be active here knowing that he loves and delights to be asked to do that. And there is more of God available that we can experience. To go here, and just all you got to do is put in your name and your email, and all, in, whoever signs up there, that's where I'm going to do all the communication around this. Okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email you more specifics of what to pray for. I'm going to email you more things to actually be considering. I'm going to pray for those that sign up on here, and we'll be doing this together. So I'm asking you to go on there, sign up, Commit to being a part of this. I'm going to move away from this screen, so it's pretty simple: bit.ly/tlfast. But you can ask me, and I can tell you. And essentially, like I said, I'll email folks that sign up there. But essentially, asking God to awaken—here's what we're praying for—and I'll send more specifics. But just asking God to awaken our hearts more to Him, asking God to awaken our hearts to more of Him to see Him, asking God to give us greater effectiveness in the mission that He's called us to that people that you know that aren't Christians would come to know Jesus, that he would give you opportunities, that we would see more people's lives actually changed and people be saved. Asking God to increase in our hearts all sorts of things that he wants to do, that we would love each other more. He would give us a supernatural love for each other at a greater level. I mean, I've already kind of gone over all my time, so there's so much I could say, but For those of you that sign up there, I'll communicate to you directly. Here's what we're asking God to do. We all want God to do more in our lives. We all want God to show up more and be more involved. We all want to get beyond kind of the humps or barriers that we feel obstacle in. How how do we do that? There's all sorts of ways. This isn't the only answer, but fasting is a key answer. It is one of the key ways that God has given to us to feast on him, to depend upon him. What if we were able to see God do more in our lives and in our church? When we come and take communion, the beautiful thing is that Jesus gives us this thing to eat. We don't come up here and just read something. He actually said, you know, one of the things that Jesus said is, I am the bread of life. You see, Jesus doesn't just want us to believe in him. He does, absolutely. But he wants us, he says, to receive him. He actually says he wants us to eat him. To say, I need you physically. My whole being needs you and your sustenance. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life that gave up my life. That my body was broken and my blood was shed. So not just that I could save you, but that I could fill you. That every part of your being would be affected by me as food. When you eat food, it goes all through your body. It affects everything. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I gave up my life to forgive you of your sins and bring you into my family so I could fill you. And he says, I want you to have this symbol to remember me. And it's eating. To feast on him. Fasting is a way we bring that into our life at an increased level and communion is a way that we remember he is the bread of life that gave himself to us. So we're going to take communion and we are going to stand and worship Jesus together. So would you pray with me? Father, I I thank you that you are a good God that loves us. You are a God of abundance. You are uh, all infinitely powerful, and infinitely wise, and infinitely loving. And there is more of you, God, that we are not currently experiencing. There is more that you want to do in our lives. There's more that you want to do in our church. You are an infinite, abundant God. And there is so much more of you that we can have if we ask. And so I pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts to, even as Ezra said, to humble ourselves before you, to come to you in need, knowing that you are a good God that delights to reward us with more. So let these truths go deeper into our hearts, even as we sing and take communion in your name.